Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as opera, news, tech, social justice. Oh, and cute animals. Does anything else matter? Still attached to at 19BK69. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Stu and Els. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, usually a Stu or Stuart, but depends on the circumstances. If it's places where there's lots of Twitter people, I will actually say I'm Stu from Oz because people know who, you know, a lot of people know me as that rather than just as by my, you know, by my surname. Are you a participant in uh, broader cross-country border kind of conversations that prompted the, oh, no, I'm the stew from Oz, not the stew from somewhere else? Um, it's actually, a, it's actually a, um, a username I've had since, I want to say, um, yeah, it would be probably early 90s. I've used that in nice. various things, so... It sort of stuck with me, and it was it was it was easier to do it, to to stay as that rather than to, you know, when I sign into Twitter to actually come up with something new. It was like oh, everyone knows me as that. I'll put that in; they'll be able to find me. Um, when, you know, as I said, since the early nineties. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> You're not that old, Stu. Please. Uh, I'm 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 old enough that I actually that that quite a number of the people I talk to on Twitter are actually young enough to be my kids. Well, it's wonderful that you've got time for us, Joe. We really do appreciate the no. chance to to learn a bit more about you today. Yeah. What do you do really well? Really well. Um. I'd like to say that I'm really good at dealing with people who don't understand what's going on in a tech environment and who need mm -hmm. to have something explained to them. So my job is I deal with people who aren't at all, for the most part, aren't tech savvy but have to use it for their job. And so yes. I spend my time patiently explaining you know it's literally it's patience um explaining to people that well can you see in the top left corner there is a red square can you click on that no left click only once and you you know i'm i'm i can do that sort of thing in my sleep and i probably have <laughs> There's a photo of me um, that I've that people have you know who know me have seen of myself helping my of of me helping my father trying to work out why his computer was not connecting to the internet. Now, yes. bearing in mind that I'm someone who used to work for Apple, and I had never actually seen. Windows Vista at the time, and this is back in the days 
when it was still Vista before you could get Windows 7. Yes. There's this photo of me looking at this computer in absolute horror. And, of course, within half an hour, it, well, with, within 10 minutes, it turns out the reason that it's not connecting is because they've actually used up their credit on their on their portable internet that they're taking with them around the world, around Australia. Yes. It took me quite a while to work that out simply because, you know, <laughs> wouldn't you have actually thought of that? <laughs> you know, and bearing in mind that it's my parents, I sort of assumed that, you know, I know my father has, you know, he's, he's not, well, he never used to like computers, but he's learned to sort of make his peace with them. So I was assuming that, therefore, he would have at least have actually checked to make sure they still had credit. Yes, yeah. it turned out no. It sounds ominous, make his peace with them. Oh, it's, well, my father retired in 18, in hmm, 99. Um, and in the last three or so years of his life, he had to start using computers. Um, this is someone who's a, um, works in, worked for the forest department in Western Australia, and he had to start using computers to help classify plants. He'd never used a computer in his life. It's something, you know, over 60 has to learn how to how to actually import information into a computer that he's got no idea what it's doing. Now he's actually got, you know, one of his own emails occasionally and you know, they will go and look things up on the computer. <laughs> but yes, it's, it's so great. It's, I mean, it's good that they're actually, you know, he and his and mum have both, you know, got to that point where they will actually do it. But it's like, yes, you you still very much feel that it's something else. It's just sort of like it's one of those things where I sort of suspect that one day they're going to have to actually change to a new computer and it's going to be, <laughs> oh, no, you've gone to Windows 10 and I've got to explain this to you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll actually have to fly over and deal with it. Yes, yes, it'll it'll mean a home visit. Oh, it'll be it'll be easier to fly over and visit rather than to try and have try and explain Windows Ten to someone over the phone. Trust me, I do that regularly at work, yeah. and yet yeah, no, no. <laughs> the joy of the software I deal with is, is that it's it's compatible with pretty much any version of Windows. We finally got most of our uses off Windows XP, which was actually quite a deal. Yeah, I can imagine. Is tech support something you've always done? Um, I've always been involved in customer support type roles for since the late 90s. Um, mm -hmm. I worked for Telstra for a number of years, for well, nine years, and that started as just one of those people who you ring up to ask what you, what's happening with your bill and ended up as being 
um, someone who was actually telling technicians where to go and what they were actually having to go and do and what to look for. Um, mm. It got to the point where I could actually look at the information. I could explain it to the technician who knew what he had to do but couldn't actually understand what the job was asking him to do. Mm -hmm. And so from there, it was sort of like I realised that, yes, I actually was good at explaining what people had, what was, you know, A, what people needed to do, and B, I could actually t take the, the language which was made perfect sense in tech sense but made no sense to someone who's, was working at it from a, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to take, you know, this cable and that cable or what sort of a cable is it that I'm talking about kind of attitude? And I could actually, you know, quickly learn the things that they needed to actually ask to explain them to them. And I could always tell them, you know, it's a, you know, you need, a, it's an ISDN, it's an ADSL, it's whatever a particular, whatever the particular line was so they knew what they had to do and all the things that they needed to ask to get before they go and do anything. So yep. that was always quite easy. From there, I actually went, I got a job working in Apple when they had a um, tech support center in, in, in Sydney. Yes. Uh, spent three years there and eventually got made redundant when they decided to close it down and move it to Singapore. Um, then went off and worked at a school for about, again, two or three years. Um, it's actually kind of weird because all these, these jobs, I all got made redundant from them. It was this sort of like stream of redundancies that happened for me. It was like, yes, this is really, I'm quite happy to actually keep working in these jobs and you've all shut down what's going on. Thanks guys. Did you find that frustrating? Always, you know, it's sort of like I was. I would have happily have stayed. I was sort of at the point where in Apple where I should, where I was expected to go up in, you know, start working the level two, and 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 it never happened. And then the reason we found out it never happened was because they were, you know, about to shut us down. So it was like, oh, great, yeah, thanks. Um, from there, yeah, I went to work for a school for. A, few years I was there I was their Mac person they had a, a mixed Mac and Windows school in terms of their technology yes um, the joys of working in a private school is of course that you know pretty much anything you wanted technology wise they could actually get hold of when they wanted it mm -hmm. yes um, and I learned a lot about you know how how how, how Windows works in a, in a network when I hadn't had to previously. So, you know, I left that. Yeah. I suddenly understood, all, you know, well, actually I won't say I understood all of it, but I understood to the point where, you know, I could walk into a, a, you know, a system admin type role. I couldn't be the lead admin person, but I could certainly work within an environment and not screw things up because I'd know what I shouldn't be doing. Um, sure. Thankfully, though, I'm back dealing with, customers now rather than actually dealing with fixing the problems that others have created within their own, within, you know, within an environment. But yeah, that's the, the basics of Stuart as a, 
what he does <laughs> makes makes things work for other people or shows them how to make them work. Is that reflective of your life outside work? Hmm. Probably not as much. Um, Bernard would probably say that it's actually my dad coming out in me. Um, mm. He actually was like, when he first, because um, Bernard, when he met my parents, he was sort of like, afterwards he couldn't see, because he met my brother before he met my parents and he was like, mm-hmm. how on earth do these two, these two people actually, how on earth do they have the same parents? <laughs> and then he met my parents and it was sort of, it suddenly made sense to him. But my dad is incredibly, I want to say discoursive, but it's not really the right word. He's very good at showing and explaining in ways that other people can get. And I've probably picked that up off him. him. Um, mm. Whereas my mother is very much the, um, I want to say, how can I fix this for you? Or, you know, mm. I feel really bad for this. What can I do to help kind of thing? Can I make a casserole? You know, she will try and do something practical when she can. So, yes. I, so as a result, when it comes to things like, you know, dealing with people with tech support and, you know, I can, I can hear the person literally wanting to throw their hands up in the air and just throw the computer out the window. And my response will be, okay, it might make you feel better. It won't help you. Where are you? What are you trying to do? And, you know, taking it back to, the steps where they started and what went wrong and take it from there. And it's, you know, it's the basics that you learn that you should be able to do. And some people just, it just comes naturally. And some people never actually quite get that. And they just spend their time dealing with customers, feeling frustrated because they've spent their life. You know, they know what that's supposed to, what the user is supposed to be doing. Why'd you do this? Mm-hmm. Every so often I get like that, but it's generally when I've had about five people in a row who don't understand, as opposed to the person who asks, do I do this or do I do that? What do you like when the tables are turned and you have to call tech support customer service? When the tables are turned, when I find myself in the something's not working, um, yes, or you, you know, the, the inevitable, I've got to contact a utility yeah. and deal with um, all of that stuff. I tend to be still remarkably patient because, for the most part, simply because, you know, I've been in those situations. I know they have to ask the various questions and I want, I want to give them all the information that they need. Um, mm. So I'll say, you know, give them a name account details and all that sort of stuff and then say, you know, this is what I've done and I think I, this should be yes. happening. Um, and, and then I'll say, I suspect it's probably this, but I can't actually say that. <laughs> and then they go, yes. you could be right. 
but I need to do this, this and this to test it first. We've actually got a, a problem like that with our internet at the moment because it's uh, the, the K, basically the, K, the, the copper in our street is pretty crap. And yep. we've had a, about four or five tech visits and each time the, the um, ISP sends their, their tech out who confirms, yes, there's, a, there's a, a problem with the cable and it's, you know, X distance away. And then the, they organise for um, Telstra to come out and repair the cable at the relevant area. We don't normally see yes. Telstra staff actually do anything. As in, you know, they don't actually come and say, yes, we're here to fix it. Yeah. Or, yes, we're here, we've fixed the problem. Um, which in days gone by, you know, when I used to work in Telstra, they were required to do that. Um, mm. And so what would actually, one time I actually saw the range, the guy said, oh, he's working on, this, on the the pillar down the street. I said, oh, is that, are you actually there to actually fix the fault for the um, the internet for 44 Hay Street? I yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was like, I assumed that was, that it must have been you because I just it just dropped out on us <laughs> again. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, after that, he didn't actually say, yes, we're all done. It's all good. And to be honest, it's still, you know, we're a kilometre from the exchange, just over a kilometre from the exchange, and we get about a third the speed that we should be able to get, but we can't get any better because the cable's so crap. If only we had some form of, you know, dynamic nation-altering infrastructure project that could fix now, that. Whatever too. do you mean, Steve? <laughs> I'm not sure, but it's not that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's... Um, when we were actually back when under the previous government there was we were actually sort of due to have been in process by now if not actually installed of course after mm. the after the government changed all the plans were ripped up and they started again and we haven't been put back into the list I'm yeah. tempted to say that, you know, it wouldn't have anything to do with a particular fact that we don't have a Liberal MP, but, you know, that would be that would be a little bit too cynical of me. What are you passionate about, um, Quite a few things. Obviously, I'm passionate about classical music and opera in, in particular. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also really passionate about making sure people get a fair go. Um, and I know that sort of mm -hmm. often gets a bit misconstrued, but to my mind, um, a lot of the things that would become into that I, I, to, I you know, call social justice, it's really about making sure that people who haven't had a fair go get a fair go. So, you know, whether it being making sure that the, you know, the kids who are growing, you know, kids who are growing up on with their parents never having actually worked, have a chance to actually have a decent future by actually being able to get education or whether it means that we, you know, we shouldn't be locking people up in 
hideous conditions in Nauru or Manus. You know, those those sort of things annoy me. Mm-hmm. Has that come for you, that, that social justice bent out of uh, an experience that you've had or is it it's something that you've just always held dear that, that I, we need to look out for these people that maybe don't have as much as the rest of us or are, are under some different um, pressure? I'd like to say it's always been there. Um, my parents mm. were really strong Christians and firm believers in that whole um, you know, the good Samaritan concept. Um, and they really tried to live that as best they yes. could. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't unusual for me to come home and find that we had, you know, mum saying, you know, or letting me know that there was actually going to be someone who I didn't know who was coming for dinner sort of thing. Um, or yes, you know, my parents used to try and, you know, they weren't rich, but they certainly tried to help practically where they could. Um, mm. And, you know, there were, I can certainly say there's been quite a lot of times where in past, you know, they've gone and done working bees and things like that. Um, then, um, you know, the the refugee thing for me, you know, I was, I remember there being, you know, I, I won't say I remember it well, but I can remember back in the 70s, the talk of the, you know, the Vietnamese refugees coming mm. and how that it was a case that these people were actually fleeing for their lives and we'd actually, you know, that we as a country had agreed to help out. Um, yes. Which to me made, made perfect sense, you know, if you're, if your life is in danger, you should be going somewhere where it's safe. Um, I still, I still have, yeah, a, absolutely. I still have a problem that people seem to think that that's not, except you know that that's not an okay thing to do. Um, I also have a lot of friends who, in various ways, have actually worked in those sort of environments. Um, a few couple of lawyers who work with in refugee organisation or, you know, supporting refugees in various organisations. And to me, yes, you know, I take my hat off to those people because they're willing to actually constantly put themselves through all sorts of crap to deal with the fact that people aren't getting a fair go and to make sure that they do. Um, and that's really what it is. It's about, you know, this person hasn't had a fair go because their whole life's been crap because simply because they've been where they the accident of where they've been born. And that's, you know, I don't, I, I get very much, I'm very much aware that we live in a, a society where, you know, we take a lot of things for granted that others can't. Where does your love for classical music and opera come from? Um, I've always been from a musical, I've always been, had music in my life. Um, it's actually, I'm kind of the, my grandmother used to play piano and we used to have sing around, sing alongs around the piano when 
when she was young and when she was young still lived in the the house that I remember them living in. Um, yes. That sort of the the thing about that was that as a child, when I was really young, when my parents bought their first stereo, um, a couple of times my mum would you know had sat me down to actually you know tried to actually enter you know do something to keep me entertained while she wanted to do something, and she discovered that you know she could actually put me down in front of the the record player and put something on. Um, that would have been something mm. classical. It probably would have been ballet or something like that. And I would sit there and she would come back later and it would be, you know, I, I w- hadn't moved sort of thing. Um, yes. Um, as a, in primary school, I did about four years of, of guitar, as in classical style guitar. So I actually learnt about the basics of, music theory but i didn't actually ever get very far um partly because we kept we had i had about three teachers in about five years um which each had their own you know one had taken me for about two or three years and then i had another two in a couple of years and it's sort of like it was a case of one had a very set idea about how to teach people and i was following that process and Mm. it made sense the next couple had no had very different ideas about how they wanted to teach and what sort of course structure they wanted to follow. And it completely messed around with my, the ability to actually progress just because it was like, I felt like I'd gone backwards to restart. But yeah, that was, so never actually ended up. And then I tinkered with piano for a few years. Um, because my parents had by that stage had my grandmother's piano. Um, and then when I was mm. living on my own, I did some voice lessons and suddenly I was actually, I could actually do that better than I could actually do either piano or, or guitar. I could sing quite well. Um, I did quite a few things where I did, you know, amateur or semi semi-professional productions around the place, both in Perth where I was, where I used to live in Sydney, I've you know done quite a lot here as well. You still sing? Um, I'm singing with a choir um, these days. It meets just around the corner from here, so it's really convenient. But it's I took a br- quite a long break from singing um, about three years, in part because I'd been doing things that I didn't really enjoy to keep myself performing. And it was sort of like, sure. yeah, that's not really going to help if you want, you know, if you, if you want to do something because you love it, make sure you're doing the thing you love rather than just doing the, you know, the thing that a variation on the thing you love because it was available. And I got caught yeah. into that. And because I was available and because I was a guy and because I had a strong voice it became a case of, oh, we can get him to do this and we can get him to do that without me feeling like it was something I really wanted to do. Um, I was doing shows in nursing homes with a group, which in itself is a great concept and quite, you know, something I was quite happy to be a part of. 
but I sort of found myself having to do things in that group that I wouldn't have chosen to do. I think it's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. What Christmas traditions do you have that you still hold dear, that you still uh, roll out every year? Christmas traditions. Um, There's always got to be a good feast. Um, (laughs) I think that's pretty much universal in in Australia, certainly, is that if you don't have a big feast at Christmas, there's something wrong. Um, um, As I grew up, pretty much it didn't really matter what, what year it was. It was a case of my parents would always have Christmas dinner that they'd organised. And then... And then Christmas, and the, for Christmas lunch and Christmas dinner was always some, you know, it was often a, a basically an open house kind of situation. It would often end up being a barbecue, and you know, half the half the um, local church would come round or whatever. It was that sort of a situation. Um, and for me, you know, it was always it was always a very it was always a time to be generous. Um, and at a time that, that where afternoon nap was pretty much was pretty much you know almost mandatory. Yeah. Once I got past being the being the young kid and all excited at Christmas, it was that was sort of like yeah, afternoon nap was like yes, we all do this because we can because we've all eaten too much. <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, it's always been a family thing for me. Um, and then it's been kind of weird most of the last few years um, because Bernard's father's not been well pretty much every Christmas apart from the last two we'd been going to New Zealand for his to be with his parents. Um, um, so that yeah. would have been, it was good in a sense that it meant that, you know, I was dealing with still, it was still with family and quite often, well, most of the t- last few years, we basically took over the kitchen and said, you know, told, told his mum, you know, go outside. We're going to look after that. Um, case of, case of, case of, case of, you know, she could relax. We could, and, you know, we would look after the food and that was easier for her. And yeah. Gave us something to do rather than for me to actually talk to relative to relatives who I barely knew. <laughs> Um, yeah but yeah it's always been about family even if it's not necessarily about the family that you've been born into but in some ways the families you've chosen um when we've actually Mm. not there's been a couple of years where we haven't been either with my family in perth or his family in new zealand and it's still been been a gathering of people at a friend's place and it will be, you know, people that have been close to us through, through the year. So it becomes that sort of chosen family rather than, rather than family by birth. The default family. The family you would choose perhaps a bit, I think is a better, is a better way of describing it rather than the family you've been, that you've been placed in. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, 
Hmm. That's something I very rarely actually think about, as you can probably guess by my response. I would like to say <laughs> I would, you know, you know, win a big, win a big lotto and give up work and go and spend some time in the south of France, forgetting about the fact that there's all sorts of things going on in Australia that I really don't want to be a part of. Um, don't know that that's going to happen, no matter how much I might like. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I guess for me, what I'd like to achieve, um, is continue to be someone that, you know, actually does something, you know, does his own little bit to be making life better for people in general. Um, I'd also probably mm. like to actually at some point move out of the place we're living in at the moment because we're getting a bit tired of the landlady's refusal to actually do work on upkeep. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's something that neither of us want to think about. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, probably just to actually continue to be someone that I can actually, that I can actually go to sleep at night and feel that, yeah, I haven't actually tried, I, you know, I've actually tried to make things better rather than to make things worse. That's really all I ever really tried to do. Thank you, Stu, for sharing what you have with us. I really appreciate your time today and, and particularly the, the things that you've shared with us. They're very special and, and you're highly valued. Thank you. No Now, very clearly, mm-hmm. you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit um, to? Also on Facebook, um, though. Very though, to be honest, that's mostly because I actually did. Um, that was as much as getting in touch with people that I had been dealing with from overseas previously, as much as anything. Um, there's people there that I've known that I've been in touch with for longer than Facebook has been around. It's probably the best way to start, just put that. Yes. Um, I've also got more family on Facebook than I've got on. Well, I've got only my brother is my only family on you know, as in biological family. He's the only one on Twitter that I actually who who follows me probably because I don't think I've actually got many family members on Twitter, thankfully. <laughs> you know, you, 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 um, when you see some of the things, the way people have to deal with family and on, on various social medias, it's like, yeah, my brother's easy to deal with. He's, he's a nice guy. He's a laid back hippie kind of guy. So it's sort of like, I don't have a problem, you know, interacting with him on Twitter, but some of my cousins would be interesting to try and to interact with on Twitter. I don't think I want to go there. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Stu from Oz is indeed human. <laughs>